Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Lund. All right, welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. We've got Ellie Stallhouse, <laughs> I think I, I might know your name, and Zachary Collins. Uh, both here, they're not in Tucson, first off. you you First off, I want to just squash it. Why not Tucson? That's where everyone else is like, well... I'm not in Boulder, so I'm going to be in Tucson. <laughs> because St. George is better, but right. I'm not allowed to tell anyone about it. Yeah, it's a secret, so go to Tucson. <laughs> yeah. So this is the maybe second year you've been here? Third. Third yeah, year you've been here? Yeah. And you used to go to Boulder all the time? For eight years, yep. Eight years. Yep. Um, Zach, have you been to Boulder versus here? I did. I did eight days in 2020 one before the first worlds here in st george and yeah. then we went back like 20 no then we did we get stuck there anyway we, yeah well, i've been to boulder um and then st george twice now so nice yeah and you like it too yeah i like it i actually like it better um i guess the only thing we're still searching for is like a 15 minute flat stretch of road that's it Everything else we have. Oh yeah, I guess there isn't anything flat. No, I was thinking yeah. maybe like head to Mesquite. Um, yeah, yeah. If you but... actually go north past Pine Valley, yeah, past it's like called the me- Meadow. There's like an actual thing where the Mormon folks pulled all these people together and murdered them. It's called the Mer- Meadow Ma- Massacre. Okay, and there's okay. like a a thing dedicated to it out there. And that road's pretty flat, and it takes you to Enterprise. So, oh, side um, tangent, but just so you know, there's some flat roads, uh, but they're not really easy to get to. Yeah. Okay. They probably mean, yeah, we probably have to jump in the car for like 15, 20 minutes, head down the range, and park yeah. up and ride. So, we can do it. Yeah. So, Ellie and Zach have been here for a couple of weeks now, back since you've been, uh, what has it been, three weeks or four weeks? Eight. eight weeks. Eight weeks. I've been, I've been gone through a little bit of it, so I don't yeah, remember. It's been eight yeah. weeks. Um, and nice. within that period of time, you've just been getting ready for Fortaleza, which is in two weeks. Uh, one week. One week. Yeah. So we just, yeah, we came back from championship season and we took a few weeks of recovery and then we started the six week build to Fortaleza, which is now in eight days. Okay. So that's upcoming. That's impending. That's why we're just did a two by one K time trial in the pool and you, yeah. and you crushed it. Yep. Um, but before all that, I think there's a lot. When's the last time you guys were on a podcast? Oh, um, it's been a while. I took a little podcast hiatus after, after world champs, because I didn't really want to talk to anyone. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there was a lot of no's in there. Yeah. And now, now I want to see if we can. Yeah. So 70.3 worlds, PTO races, you opted to do the Asian Open and then go to Finland. Yep. Um, how was that? Uh, the backup wasn't too bad because I didn't actually finish the Singapore race. So for me, the world champs, I basically just did a sim day, like a swim and half a bike ride the week before. So it wasn't actually too bad. If I had have had to finish and the heat and everything, it may have been a different story. I'm not sure. I've never done the back-to-back week um but yeah i mean with the travel and everything i was a little bit worried about how that would go with the six day turnaround but it seemed to be fine for me i wasn't jet lagged or anything so really it seems like a lot of folks had issues with illness mm. in yeah general, coming I from think, singapore yeah, yeah it seems like a lot of the men's field got sick after their race which is the day after ours so they had a slightly different swim course to us because 
there was apparently elevated elevated levels of E. coli at the swim exit where we exited the water. So they then moved the men to a different exit point. So maybe it was worse. I'm not sure, but oh man, seems like a lot of men got sick and only a couple women. So yeah, I don't know. And, but yeah, we were good. And Zach, you had the actual non-athlete experience on race course. How was how were the logistics in Singapore? How'd that go? altogether singapore was actually really good um in terms of like the the swim you could actually walk from like so the swim start went out like a smaller rectangle then they came back to the beginning pontoon and then dove back in and then swam like 1k all the way down to the exit and you could actually physically walk like all the way with them, oh, alongside alongside and then as they came up out of the water um they would run past you into transition and then by the time they went out on the first lap of the bike, um, you could like cross one block of the street and you could like set up on a couple of corners and watch. So it was actually really good spectator wise. Um, and then the run, again, you could easily walk up and down the whole kind of um, waterfront area, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. Um, yeah, super spectator friendly. Cool. Yeah, it was really good. And they've uh, have they secured that one again next year? Yeah. Yeah. April twelve to fourteen. Yeah. Think. April. Yep. April sounds like it could be hot again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it'll be just coming out of summer, so okay. it'll be hot. Brutal. It'll be hot. Well, it's always hot there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. And what happened? What were you ill with for the yeah. race? So I got sick, not in the race, but the week leading into the race, we were running a tri-camp the weekend before in Singapore and Sentosa Island. And I'm, I just went, dove in just to cool down. I wasn't even going for a training swim. I put my head under and just like without goggles and I got some nasty eye infection, conjunctivitis and a, some sort system. of infection because of that and ended up on three courses of antibiotics. And But we didn't realize yeah. that taking the oral antibiotics doesn't affect the eye mm. so ellie was like hammering all these antibiotics oh. and the eye was just like if anything getting worse so bad i and could barely see out of it it wasn't until like the race afterwards like when ellie like when i was like no 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 like just dnf yeah and then we called the doctor he came out and he was like oh yeah no it's never gonna work you're topical yeah you yeah. have to put like a paste so in he it. came from the hospital yeah at like midnight after the race and then he was like no you need this like topical antibiotics and because you're racing in six days time and you have a bunch of travel and you can't really rest i'm going to give you three different kinds of topical antibiotics and see which one works so i had all these like you know, yeah, appointments and whatever. Back's going out to you easier. <laughs> yeah. What's that? I checked them all, I promise. <laughs> but it ended up that these ones, these particular ones he gave me were so strong, they would literally like close my eye over. Fully and, like, close it. It was just stuck for like three days. Oh. I couldn't open my eye. And that was like during travel and the airport and flying. Like he was right. He was 100% right. He's like, yeah. in like two to three days, it'll go down. And then in five to six, it'll be completely gone. Oh, yeah. It's like the morning of so Actually, worlds. yeah, the morning of the race was the first day that my eye wasn't like red or partially like closed again. or anything. So, yeah. But looking right. back at the photos of like in the lead up to Singapore, that eye was bad. Like I was like, oh, it's not that bad. But I was yeah. like, oh my me too every day i'd wake up and look in the mirror and be like oh it's getting better today and no i think yeah, we were just was, trying to convince it was pretty bad but yeah. yeah it was a lot worse than i thought it was i thought it was literally just a localized eye thing and I'm, glands and but yeah all my like feet. glands and lymph nodes are all swollen <laughs> i should have 
Do you still have the picture? Oh, there's yeah, there's multiple pictures. There's one with Pillar actually with Damo. And yeah. like this is this red glowing like cyborg <laughs> yeah. thing. Uh, the magnesium powder. It's like <laughs> bright red. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that's tragic. That um, aside. Luckily it came together for Finland. And which by the way, I'd love to get your perspective on um that organization. It seems like there was a lot of chaos post-race, but everything before the race was lovely. So how did yeah. you all find the getting there, getting settled mm-hmm. and time zones, all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, we flew and arrived early in the morning, which I think was good for us in terms of like getting on the time zone because we just stayed awake that whole day and then just got straight to bed at normal time. Um, Yeah, and we stayed about 20 minutes away from the race because we couldn't get anything closer. But it actually ended up being quite nice because we weren't surrounded by all the race staff and athletes and, you know, all the rest of it. We could ride on some quiet roads. Mm. Like it ended up being really good. It was really nice um so yeah as far as the the lead-in went couldn't have asked for more really yeah um, it was very well run yeah yeah um you're the first athlete i've ever seen get two penalties in one race <laughs> um special I think, I think that's worth discussing i think that's probably something that's a little stingy but um yeah, yeah. any like i'd like to know mm-hmm. and i think anybody would you know the, what happens in your mind as an athlete when you're going through that and you're processing it during the race and then what does the aftermath look like? How do you get it sorted? How does a pro athlete approach trying to make sense of this? Because clearly Lionel Sanders was, un, you know, his story probably overshadowed everybody's with the imaginary line rule. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Which was another crazy aspect that shouldn't have happened. But your perspective as to yours and why they were called, you know, mm-hmm. what was going on? Um, yeah. I mean, at the time, I didn't know what I received them for. Um I still don't have a whole lot of clarity on what I received them for, even though I've spoken to Jimmy Riccatello. I have two separate answers, um, basically, for what they were. So it it was either slotting in or sitting closer than 12 metres. But I was the whole time asking, like, is this okay? Is this okay? I was receiving feedback from the people on the motorbike that this that, that distance was fine, like, you know, thumbs up. Um, so yeah, still not a whole lot of clarity. Um, I'm going to go ahead and assume one was maybe slotting in, one was maybe drafting and that's where there's confusion, but I, I yeah, I don't hundred percent know. But anyway, in the moment when I received the penalties, I was kind of like shocked because it's, I've never received a penalty before in a race. So obviously you hear about it in the race briefing, like, you know, this color is this, but initially you're like, Oh, you know, shit, what, what's that for? Like, what color is that? Is that I forgot seconds? what blue or yellow. Why yeah, are they using confusing exactly. yeah. What have I done? You know, is someone going to tell me like that you did exactly this? Like, yeah. do I have to like, what do I do now? And then I was like, well, where's the penalty box? Like, I have no idea. I didn't really take note of where it was because I didn't expect to be going to it. And so you just keep writing. But obviously in the back of your mind, you're a little bit like more cautious. Yeah. Obviously not cautious enough because then I get a second one like five minutes later um yeah so it's very hard obviously like in my head when I got the first one I was like okay five minutes like okay I'm out of contention for a podium probably unless something drastic happens up front yeah um but I could still like definitely get top 10 like stay calm like keeping the keeping the game like if you're fine um I was riding with the front group or the main group and then there was two girls up the front up the road 
Um, you had, yeah. the, you had the, um, the Taylor Nib Moto Conglomerate. Yeah. yeah, that was the other yeah, group. Yeah, the yeah. Taylor and then Imogen in No Man's Land and then the group Good that group. I was in. Um, but then, yeah, to go and get a second one, that was probably like the biggest blow of all. I mean, 10 minutes in the penalty box is yeah. like, that's okay. A, that's like, probably like an hour. Oh, it oh. felt like forever. Yeah. And like, I had no idea what to do. And she's like, oh, you can get off your bike, stretch, eat, drink, whatever you want to do. And I'm like, literally like just walking around, like having a chat to the 15 other athletes that got in the penalty box yeah, that day. And it was like a party in there, but yeah, it did. It felt like the longest 10 minutes of my life. And it was quite cold, which meant I was getting yeah, cold. Yeah, legs, everything. Yeah, mm. like I um, was getting cold. And so what makes you keep going after that? Because mm. any, I don't know, a lot of athletes would just pull the plug and what, what, what kept you going? I think the biggest thing was anger. Like yeah. I was so frustrated and angry. And then there was like a small bit of hope in the back of my mind that like, okay, like if I didn't des deserve these, I'm going to like fight them unbeknownst to me I didn't know you couldn't uh challenge a judgment call right so in the back of my head I'm still like okay like I'm gonna get to the finish line get to the bottom of these and find out what I did wrong and you know if I can uh challenge them I'm going to so I was like I gotta do my best because these might be overturned somehow you know that's what I was telling myself but at the end of the day I was just really angry yeah. and so it's just I think anger was just like fueling me to the finish line you know, I'm going to jump in and say yeah. from a non-professional and someone who like, I can't stand like cheating even in a board game, right? And if you've got, um, I guess, officials that their job is to be able to manage a gap with their eyesight only of 12 meters. And like I've sat down and had a look at all the numbers. And if you're riding at 38 and a half K an hour or 40 K an hour, 12 meters can like happen in, I think it's like 0.06 of a second. And like, you're telling me you can judge that with the eye. So for me, if I was a professional, which I'm not, and I'm never going to be, if I had received a penalty for what they assume to be drafting, I don't stop at the penalty box. Cause in my mind, I'm like, all right, well, it's their judgment call against mine. And the Ironman rules are, you can't appeal a judgment call. So I'm riding with the front group. Okay, I'm gonna I'm just gonna blow through that penalty box. I'm not stopping. Sorry guys, I ain't stopping. I'm gonna cross the finish line where I will finish. So I might come third, fifth, seventh, but at least I cross the line where I would have. Whereas if I sit in the penalty box for 10 minutes and I watch like I think it was 38 athletes go mm -hmm. past. And then I, in my mind, I'm like, well, hang on a second. I'm now chasing everyone back down to cross the line in, let's say, I might come 20th. I mean, Ellie ended up coming 13th. Mm -hmm. But there's no chance, like, any corporation, like, whether it's in triathlon or what, once you've served that penalty, that's it. Like, you, you don't have a voice anymore. And so for me, like, I would never, ever stop at a penalty tent. And I, it's probably not the right thing to do. Well, their Iron Man's response to that would be like, well, if you you just get DQ'd. You, you, that's right. Yeah. So and then so going back to Lionel's thing, and I don't know if this has been addressed, but with Lionel's ruling, if Lionel had kept racing as hard as he could, and let's say he he doesn't stop at that penalty tent and he blows straight through, I know for a hundred percent certain, like one hundred percent, that if he crossed the finish line in six and they DQ'd him and then he appealed, it would have been overturned. And yeah. I know that for a hundred percent. 
That makes sense because by accepting it and penalizing yourself, you've accepted you've accepted. Yeah. And like when yeah. they say like, oh, do you accept this penalty? Man, I don't, sorry, I don't, I'm not looking at you, Moto. No, they like, don't say, they say, do you acknowledge yeah, that you've received a penalty? No way. Like, no, no, bro. Like, you tell me what 12 meters is. I can yeah. guarantee you no official can pull out 12 meters at the moment. Well, I think to everybody who's ever watched an Ironman or a PTO or any broadcast, um, when, anytime the camera's ahead mm. or behind or ahead facing the other way, there's a fly, I was just squealed. Um, it looks sometimes like everyone's stacked right on top yeah. of each yeah. other. It is, it is like deceivingly it's close. It's very deceiving. And then when it goes back to the side, you're like, oh, these gaps are opening as the camera is going more parallel yeah. With, yeah. with the bikes. So the vantage point of the, of the I guess, referees always needs to be taken into account. And yeah. their judgment call could be 10 feet back from where it needs to be and be skewed by, you know, a foot. A foot. Mm -hmm penalty yeah yeah so it's tough i think that's the one area within the professional aspect of our sport that doesn't have a lot of professional yeah. anecdotal anecdotal evidence to prove that this is going to help the sport mm. yeah and so i think that's the only thing that really has to be addressed as the prize purses get bigger as the acumen gets stronger definitely yeah. um you know thankfully there's a couple tools that are coming in place but yeah. yeah even we haven't seen those be completely administered properly so they haven't mm -hmm. been as effective yet like race ranger yeah yeah i think race ranger really is the answer to like not all the problems in in the professional field but definitely the distance and the slotting in yeah. problem yeah i think those two will be a hundred percent resolved with the use of race ranger but at the same time it will never replace the, the referees, referees yeah. because they've got to be there to monitor the lights you, you know yeah. it's one thing to sit you know have the lights there but athletes need to abide by them yeah and then they also need to be able to watch you know passing all those kinds of things but at least the athlete will you know when passing another athlete will be able to say okay that gap is big enough for me to be able to slot in yeah yeah and it's not up to a judgment call you're yeah. taking yeah. out all this the subjective data yeah. Well, and one more thing just about penalties before we move on is is the referee and is working with a system that has been set in place by World Triathlon, USAT, what have you. Yeah. And I think that until that system gets adjusted to accommodate for the technology that is provided, because let's say the system changes and rather than getting an instantaneous penalty that could be a ruiner of your day of five yeah. minutes, what if after you get one minute of perceived negative time by getting mm -hmm. in too close, then that is deducted from your finish time. Yeah. And you're notified by a ticker when you come in that you're 35 seconds down on the leader, even if you're next to the leader. Yeah, you yeah. sat in the red for X amount yeah. of time or, or yeah. whatever it may be. I mean, that's yeah. very hypothetical. That's a little bit too probably hard to manage, but there has to be a system that's going to adapt to the technology. Yeah, yeah. there definitely needs to be another set of rules uh, because at the moment it doesn't take into consideration like sitting in, in the draft zone for passing reasons uh, and then also being passed and dropping back mm. out of that zone. So if you get passed eight times in the race, I mean, you could already pass over that minute, yeah, but you've done nothing wrong. So there needs to be definitely another set of rules. And I think that will eventually come. Mm. But in terms of using Race Ranger right now for distance purposes, distance, I think yeah. it's, that's, it's ready that, to go. Facing. Just, so for, that, just yeah. for helping like visually, like being able to be like, okay, blue, red, or, you know, like, yeah. this, oops, like, yeah, the, yeah. The, the different colors definitely help the distance thing. Mm -hmm. All right. 
Well, I, I want to bring that up just because I know that really probably, let's just be honest, it ruined your day at Finland, um, whether it was right or wrong, whether the judgment calls were completely erroneous. Um, it ruined a couple other athletes' days. So um, I think your perspectives on that are awesome since you've both been negotiating how to figure this out with yeah. officials and Ironman. And I'm sure it's frustrating to be yeah. subjected to something that you really had no say in. No yeah. say. I mean, if at the end of the day, like, is it really that hard to put, if you got five motos, just put a goddamn GoPro on each of the motos. I mean, you can see the footage and if like, at least be able to appeal it, you yeah. know, just to, to like, you're basically like, you're going to prison. What for? You're gone. Yeah. Like, that, that's it. Yeah. There's no way to prove innocence is no, the problem. You're gone. Yeah. It's like, yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. And not only does like it affect like that race or the remainder of the season or whatever, like it affects like next year for me and other athletes as well. I mean, well, your, your sponsorships, everything. Yeah. World yeah. ranking sponsorship, the ability to receive one of the PTO contracts for next season. Like it's, yeah, it's 13th, had a, 13th, yeah. or you maybe could have finished on the podium. You know? It's had a big effect for my like the next year. So yeah. I'm going to have to deal with that from Someone's the subjective judgment. data of yeah. two referees. And how much, how scary is that to be an official on a motorbike, knowing that if you pull that card, yeah, you, that's what you're doing to that athlete. Yeah. But they don't. That's a problem there. And there's no, there's no recourse for them. They're, they're getting a paid whether they fail or do their job. Yeah. And yeah. we can't pull them up on it. Like, why aren't they in race briefing? Yeah, why can't we talk to them eye to eye and show yeah, them? Can you please show yeah. me 12 meters right now? Like, like why, no one's in race break. Why haven't I been able to speak directly to the two referees that gave me those penalties to yeah. tell me exactly what I received them for? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I've spoken to the, the, head, the official. head official and also the global referee yeah. for Ironman. But I haven't directly spoken to the two who physically held up the cards. So probably on witness protection. Probably. <laughs> probably. We're gonna get you out of here, man. Come to St. George. She's after us. <laughs> <laughs> they get a lot of tools and they yeah. can just disassemble oh, the yeah. car and you got no brakes. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. all right. So moving on from the penalties. Um, you know, the industry, the economy, everything that we're going through as professional athletes to try to maintain not only relevance, but results. Um how do you all feel about the climate of our sport that you are responsible of being your own agent, your own marketing person, social media coordinator, um, investment strategist? I mean, you you are essentially a small startup mm -hmm. as a professional athlete. And you're in charge of everything. How how are you managing that? And has this year been a tough year for all of that? Yeah, well, firstly, I think the sport is moving in a great direction. I mean, there has been a lot of money and a lot of like media and things that are being thrown at the sport, which can only grow it and increase, you know, the number of eyes on the sport and therefore the sport's getting bigger and more money and whatever else, which is incredible. And it's like great to be a part of it right now, but it does make all the other aspects of being a pro athlete quite challenging and like, I'm lucky enough to have Zach that really helps me with everything and all of those things like management coaching, all those things that I would otherwise have to do on my own. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I know like a lot of pro athletes yeah. do it on their own. And I guess like it goes hand in hand, like the, the better you do at these big high level races, the more you need all those yeah. people helping you. You need an entourage. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah, you like obviously want to, you know, increase you know, your 
your name and you want to like better yourself as an athlete and whatever else but it does come with this increased pressure so Mm. it feels like high school sometimes like yeah just in another position of a popularity game or a play well these i'm gonna go train with these guys in tucson so i can be part of the yeah yeah Yeah, they'll mention me on instagram (laughs) oh look at me in the background of lionel's video Yeah. yeah the only thing that makes it really difficult sometimes is that I feel like in terms of sponsorship that it used to be about race results, right? And and as a pro athlete, you were all about race results and improving your results. But now I feel like sponsors are primarily looking at, you know, the number of followers or your engagement on social media. And I don't know, for me, it's like, I, I, I get that. I understand that brands want to be promoted to more eyes, but at the same time, like being a pro athlete, it's about race results at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a hard game that I think that tipping scale of influence versus results is it's been higher on the influence side. Initially it's starting to level off. I bet because yeah. teams are starting to see the volatility and mm-hmm. there's, you know, just because you have 500,000 followers and you're good at taking pictures with a bikini on mm-hmm. and you're getting all these products sent to you all the time that doesn't also equate to income mm-hmm. because it's just free stuff yeah um and it, and i think that it's i think it's partnering with these with itself now you're seeing athletes get a lot of followership and have the reputation they're yeah. coinciding together and so the deals are getting better for those athletes. yeah and that's yeah. that's great yeah um, like even from like a real small scale thing like you think if let's say you have a local triathlon club here in St. George and you like drinking coffee, right? You go to a coffee shop and you've got a kit made and you're like, Hey, for how many coffees do we have to buy each week for you to give us $3,000? So you make a return on investment. And that's the way I think from a small business perspective, and then it grows into obviously like your big brands, like I think like your sponsors or the sponsorship companies, whether it's in triathlon or outside of, they should always be, I would think, they should always be trying to make a return on investment on the athlete. A tangible return. Uh, Yeah, tangible. Not like, oh, we're going to sell like, you know, here's a Mercedes car. We're going to sell 35 Mercedes from, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. Yeah. I I think a really nice like collaboration between athlete and company is, Things what everyone strives for. Mm. Well, if we could have that, it'd be great, but it's just so hard because yeah. there's indirect sales that I think are more dominant because it takes statistically like three to or maybe it's five to 10 times for you to see something mm. before you actually buy it. So may, maybe I saw a pillar from you first, but mm. then I saw it from three others. And then I was like, yeah, I'm just going to buy some pillar. From yeah. Me. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I wouldn't ask you for an affiliate code. So there'd be no tracking to that. Yeah. So I think that's the tough part. And that's where I also hate the affiliate partnerships because they only monitor your direct sales. Yeah. And that doesn't often equate to your value. Yeah. So I think it depends on the company, their ability to have a partnership. And I think that's the next question is who is your favorite brand that you've worked with over the last few years and why? I think that's a really good question because I have got a couple that I Mm -hmm. like for certain reasons, but what does it mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the sponsor I've been with the longest is is Zoot now, and there's a reason for that, and it's because I feel like they're they're like family to yeah. me now. Like they really listen to my opinions, they really listen to what I what I want, especially when it comes to like race suits or like gear that I've designed. Like 
I feel like there's nothing too big or too small. Like if yeah. I ask anything of them, they're like, yeah, we're on it straight away. Yeah. Like whether I'm in America or whether I'm in Australia, they like go out of their way to make sure that everything's perfect for me. That's so, so good. Yeah. So they're an awesome company to work with. And it's because they're at the top of the end at Zoot. They're just really human, good people. Yeah. Yeah. They want to take care of you. They're not like, oh yeah, we like you as well as you're performing for us. And then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sorry, we've got a budget cut and you're the first one on the list. Yeah. yeah, I feel like they understand loyalty goes both ways as well. And they're like obviously extremely loyal and that makes me want to be extremely loyal to them. And mm. I honestly think I'll see out the entirety of my career being a Zoot athlete just because like I value that sponsorship and their like friendship so much. Like, yeah, it's been great for the last five years. Yeah. We'll pause for a second. Hey, we're just doing a podcast. Just so a heads up, real quick. We'll be done in about probably five minutes. Hi guys. What's up? <laughs> oh, pizza's here. But um, I think it goes like it takes a, like like what you said. It takes a little while for like that athlete company relationship to grow. Because like you could be like, oh well, I love this 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 mouse you know and you're like oh well all right so so you sell these mouses for a year but then you get another offer that might be better and it's a different brand of mouse but and then your followers like oh like that's a tough now do part I buy to that? be part of you know what I mean? it's it's hard like yeah i don't know it's a tough one because like everyone wants the biggest and best contract straight away but if it's only a one-year deal what if red yeah. bull came to you tomorrow was like all right ellie we need you we want you to do this but we want to take over exclusivity of all your branding and you've got to drop this this and this and by the way you can no longer be with zoot <laughs> but you get to wear that red bull badge uh i don't know that would be a hard one i'm sorry i want to i some yeah point proven though yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I yeah, think, yeah, 100%. I think... But I also feel like with the, the PTO now, we can be a little bit more choosy with our sponsors yeah. and we can actually use brands that we like and align with because the prize money yeah, yeah. and yeah. the money outside of sponsorships is so much higher. Whereas, you know, only a couple of years ago, you had to like pick the biggest contract because yeah. you were relying so heavily on sponsorship dollars. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I'd like to see the industry get... Um, you know, big security firms, non-endemic sponsorships that are going to be able to pay that 60 to 100K salary for mm -hmm. all of us. Um, and then we can actually have better relationships with the endemics. And 100%. not because right now we're we're like a bike shop. Yeah. And the endemic sponsors are the ones who are like, uh, we get the merchandise for you. We, we'll give you this much. And then, but we're going to give this person this much. Um, yeah. And mm -hmm. so they can undercut you. They can be having deals and then all of a sudden they can just cut you because whatever yeah, yeah. um and i think with the in the in non-endemics that's where there's a different market that they're interested in definitely and yeah. it gives them a lot more flexibility because honestly the other aspect is their marketing dollars are way, way bigger, bigger. Yeah. yeah i think also going back to the influencer part that we we're talking about before with the endemic sponsors like why would they pay one athlete a hundred thousand mm. dollars to use their product when they could literally give 50 people free product and have them you know, do it. just as good yeah. a job at influencing and it's well reach. or yeah. give 10 athletes a smaller salary and have them promote it. You know, if you mm -hmm. can have second to 10th in the, the pro field, as opposed to number one for the same dollar value, yeah. you'd go, go two to 10. Yeah. I'd go yeah. two to 10, but I'd also still make sure that I'm taking care of number one mm. because yeah. number one still has to, 
be the face. Like you've got to yeah. have a face and then you've got to have support. I think that's what yeah. the feed's doing. Yeah. The feed yeah. has their kind of number one high performance team athletes. Yeah. And then it trickles down to their just brand affiliates and influencers. Mm. So there, I think, have the Red Bull strategy yeah. nailed down because they want to own your head, your mm. towel, your bottle, and they want that everywhere. Yeah. yeah. But I also like that, that it has different levels because it gives the athlete like a clear idea on what they have to achieve yeah. to get to the next level. It's like getting a job in the workplace and then you have, you know, different tiers that you have to achieve to work your way up and get promotions. It's the same. It's the same. Yeah. You know? Very similar. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think... That's kind of the main stuff I wanted to hit you with. Um, aside from, you know, what do you think about, um, you know, the polit- political climate in the U.S.? <laughs> it's happening in the U.S. No, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I don't want to get involved. When are you going back to home in Australia? And, uh, you know, what are you going to be doing when you're back in the, I guess, endless summer that you've created for yourself? Yeah, so we leave the U.S. on the 2nd of December and we head to Bahrain for the 70.3. And then after that, the weekend following, we go to Singapore and we're running a triathlon camp there for a couple of days, which will be fun. Get another eye um, infection. Yeah. <laughs> Jump in some Definitely some use doo-doo. goggles in the water. Uh, <laughs> now we have some good friends there too, so it'll be really nice to catch up with them. Uh, and then we'll go home. We should arrive probably the week before Christmas back in Australia. Uh, and then we the got plan... lots to do. Do you have yeah. any downtime? Well, I mean... Where where Ellie bought her house a couple of years ago was like a fantastic like training area for cycling. Like there's nothing built out there. Like well, there was some stuff, but like really nice long open roads. And we got back last year. It's all this development everywhere. And we're like, what happened to like our 30 minute like no traffic light section? Oh yeah, no, there's finish. like traffic lights, roundabouts, big estates, yeah, schools like- and everything. Like this, yeah. So we have to try and move house. Yeah. I'm trying to find like a small little square meterage to have my mechanics area not in the garage. Just get a get a sprinter van and be a mobile mechanic, man. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, I could, but people pay you in beers. <laughs> <laughs> That'll pay the bills. <laughs> and yeah, so you got to try and find a house. Yeah. Try and find a space. But in terms of downtime, I kind of we kind of had two weeks in Greece after yeah. you know, Uzbekistan after Challenge Semikens, so it's, that's yeah. kind of our that was our downtime. That was our downtime. Yeah, I don't but, know if that counts, but um, yeah, um, but yeah, no, we'll we'll race uh, a couple Aussie races, early season Aussie races, and then be back here yeah. in April. I was thinking about April. Yeah, yeah. Oh, not April. I think yeah, we're gonna do seven point three Saint George Good. for sure. Good, yeah, locked in. Was part of the Ironman calendar. Yeah, yeah, that thing's pretty cool. Well, we're moving it upstairs, by the way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I need some help cleaning this house. <laughs> um, I think I was considering three March Ironman New Zealand. Nice. Ah. I'll spectate. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be the bag. Are you gonna be baggage. in New Zealand though at that time? We can be. We can. Yeah, it's only three hour flight. Yeah. 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 Anyways, um, yeah, lots to come. Yeah. I think uh, you all being here is amazing, and it. It's great that we don't have a lot of other triathletes here. It's just yeah. kind of like a yeah. small group. Um, and cool. I, I don't want it to get too crazy. So hopefully everyone at home can uh, stay out. Go to Tucson. And thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Anything else that I missed? Are you, pre- uh, you pregnant? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to disappoint mom. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Yeah. All right. All right. Definitely not. <laughs> that bombshell thanks and uh sign up for our camp 
and Cozumel, or check out the details on our team at uh, realtrysquad.com. We've got a good rate for you uh, to come train with our professional athletes on Real Tri Squad the 7th to the 14th, or the 17th to the 24th of January um, in Cozumel. So if you're getting tired of the cold, you want to come out and hang out and have just a great opportunity to train with some professional athletes, learn, and just get out of the doldrums of indoor training. Um, We'd love to have you. So yeah, or just fly to Brisbane. It's not that expensive <laughs> yeah. all that long. It's not even join us in Australia. It's yeah. Not even thirty hours of travel. Yeah, yeah. not even. All right, I'll give you an airport pickup. Yeah, <laughs> and peace out. Bye.